And if you know the chant while I'm chanting, you please welcome to join in. Namo Tassa Bhagavatu Arahatu Samasan Buddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavatu Arahatu Samasan Buddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavatu Arahatu Samasan Buddhasa Buddhang Dhammang Sanghang Namasami So today is election day. How does that feel? I don't I don't know what it's been like for you. Um but for me, I've had quite a lot of anxiety about this. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I was quite um, taken aback when I, I was driving past uh, in my neighborhood and somebody had a, had a sign on their front lawn of a candidate that I didn't have a lot of confidence in. And, and as I was riding on my bike, I just noticed myself kind of contract and, and kind of move further away from the sign, as if there was something about it that was contagious or somehow scary or something I needed to protect myself from. And not too long ago, I was speaking on the telephone with a friend, and to my shock, found out he was voting for this candidate that I didn't have a lot of confidence in. <laughs> And I was, um, I was speechless, and, and I was also um, all of a sudden questioning all kinds of things. You know, is this person trustworthy? Can I actually um, say the things that I normally say? Is there somehow, like, it felt as if somehow the carpet had been taken out from underneath me. Like, the assumptions that I had or the kind of basis of trust was somehow um, affected. And I thought, you know, this is, this is really fascinating. Um, this is fascinating because I had, no, first of all, I had no idea that my feelings about the political views were going to have such a, a strong effect on my sense of safety and my sense of trusting. And so I was having to reflect on uh, what was happening inside of myself. And then, you know, uh, just last week, you know, Hurricane Sandy came. And I'm hearing the information and hearing, seeing some of the images and hearing some of the statistics. And the last thing, it never occurred to me to worry about which of these people were which party and whether the people who were hurting were whether the party that I was um, felt an affinity with. There was just in this incredible, incredible sense of... You know, people are hurting. They need support. And and what can I do or how can I bring my caring and my attention and my prayers kind of to everyone, you know? So there was a huge contrast between the kind of separation and pulling back and polarization and fear experience when I identified with one political view and felt a sense of... Um, concern or anxiety or like there'd be no possible way that my needs would be met 
with this other political party and the policies that they're instigating or advocating. And then the huge difference between when I actually just tuned into suffering, you know, to the, the, the kind of loss, the kind of damage, the kind of something that was overwhelming, something that, you know, was causing huge disturbance and transportation and people not having power and people losing their homes and people losing members of their family. And it never occurred to me to, to think about the political views that these people had. It was like absolutely nowhere in my register. So when I think about, you know, the, the place that we're in in this country right now where things are so unbelievably polarized and stuck, you know, and I think, well, what actually, what actually helps us move forward? You know, what helps us move forward? And what actually contributes to the problem? So, you know, one of the things that has happened in the last few years since I've been back from England is I've had a kind of profound inquiry into the nature of identity and belonging. So having been part of a community for 20 years and very clearly saying, I'm leaving and stepping outside of the community and the people who were connected to it and the infrastructure that supported it, I came here to the United States to see if I could find a way that would be congruent with my own values and not require so much compromise or harm. And I have not for one second regretted that decision. But there have been plenty of times when I have felt the weight of not knowing where I belong or who is the community that I am connected to or where do I fit in or where can I find my kinship, you know, has brought me to, you know, very profound inquiry, very, very profound inquiry. Now, one of the things that has happened, or one of the things that I have observed, is is that we can have an interest to wake up. And I, I would imagine that some of the reason why people are here is because there's a shared value in waking up. But then what happens is the value around waking up gets overlooked because of the need to feel a sense of kinship and affinity with the people who one is waking up with. And so then the waking up bit becomes secondary to the belonging to the group that's waking up. And then if the belonging to the group that's waking up starts doing things that doesn't feel comfortable or easeful or congruent with your identity of who you have associated with, then it causes a really interesting conflict. Now, all of us, you know, we come into this world and we have a journey of learning who we are as human beings. 
which is not a simple journey, you know, to know who we are and what we believe and how we function, to feel comfortable in our bodies, to come to terms with our sexuality and our sexual orientation, to get a sense of what our political views are, and to feel comfortable that it's okay for us to have that view and to live like that. You know, this human developmental journey is not trivial. And yet, it's not the only thing that's happening. It's important. And certainly, I have seen in my own world, my own life, my own experience, you know, I started meditating when I was 17 and felt absolutely committed to the practice of waking up. And to my shock and horror, discovered 20 years into the process that there were significant developmental tasks that were not sufficiently complete for me to be really able to let go into the practice because there was a kind of struggle or scramble to kind of get to terms with some things that I had never been able to do, really. So my single pointed focus was waking up, and I thought meditation was going to be a magic wand, and it would go voop voop, and everything would kind of clear, and there would be no problems, and everybody would love me. That was sort of like my my 17 year old fantasy of what enlightenment was: is that there would be no problems, and everybody would love me. And in my in my meditation experience, what I have discovered is, is, is that it's not as if I have ever put the meditation practice aside and forgotten it or abandoned it. But there have been plenty of times when I have needed to pick up um, aspects of attending to my own development as a human being. And that has not been a hindrance. It's been, an, it's been a, a tremendous asset to then learning how to let go and not be identified with any of it. And the more I understand what it is to let go and not be identified with any of it, not to be fixated on my gender or my ancestry or my personal stories or my skin color or my whatever, all the everythings that go with being a human being, then the more I am able to touch what's underneath the longing to belong. So when I think about, you know, some of the things that have been happening in this world, in this country, in the political arena, and, you know, the contentiousness of this election, and the kind of nastiness of stuff that's gone on, and the kind of the amount of money that has been spent, it's you know, and my mind moves into views and opinions about all of this, you know, and, and, and how it feels so important to move in a way that supports other values, you know. And yet, when I'm identified with the values, I separate out 
and cause us's and them's. And the us's and them's perpetuates the polarization that supports the problem rather than adds to the solution. I'm part of the problem rather than the solution. When I do that, when I believe that kind of thinking, So in our meditation practice, we understand how to bring attention to an object and let it rest there. And there's the ability to know the difference between the object of what we're observing and the knowing of that object. There's a difference between that which knows and the object that is known. In the same way that there's a difference between the mirror that reflects and the object that is reflected. They're not the same. The mirror does not take on the coloring of the object that it knows. So it can be a beautiful object. It can be exquisite. It can be fragrant. It can be ugly. It can be smelly. It can be displeasing. It can be distasteful. The mirror is not affected, does not form an opinion, does not create an identity around what is known. in Australia in 2000 to 2002 there was a period of time when I was living in the bush and there was a time when I was living in the bush when I was living in a kind of an overhang it was um, a shelter that was just an overhang rock and it was about 30 feet long and had vaulted seedlings I don't know how 20 feet I don't know 20 feet high And I didn't do this as an ascetic practice. I did this as a middle-class response to 110-degree heat in my kuti, you know. It was like, it was only 87 degrees in this place. And in the heat, in my little kuti, my little hut turned into something like a solar oven. So it was a strategic move towards comfort rather than a, a movement towards asceticism that I went into the cave. And... You know, for me, it was just really tremendously interesting to see what happened living that way and living there for a while. Because when I first got to Australia, I very much felt like a lump in nature. You know, I was here as a person. You know, I had history and story and all the rest of that 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 didn't have a lot of connection to Australia. And I landed in this place, you know. And then after a while, I felt like the nature around me was friendly. You know, so when I got there, I was a little bit, you know, <laughs> and then, you know, and then it felt friendly. And then it felt not like friendly, but like, like you know, the way it feels when you go to grandma's house and she scoops you up and gives you the most sweetest, cuddliest cuddles and kisses. And it's like she's just delighted that you've come. Well, it felt like that. You know, it felt like the land and the nature and the creatures 
were delighted that I was there. Just so delighted. And with that tremendous sense of welcome, it gave me the ground to open up and explore layers that I had never had the courage or the sense of safety to touch before. And to my great surprise, underneath my bright, radiant smile were layers of fear, were layers of anger, were layers of self-hatred that I had no access to. So they were driving the strategies of my life without having direct connection to what they were doing, to the fact that they were present, and to the tension that I was experiencing of needing to have things be controlled, have things be my way, not be too outside of my identity of who I thought I was or what I needed to do. And as this stuff opened up, I didn't need to hold on to who I thought I was. Who I thought I was, in part, was a defense mechanism against feeling things that I didn't want to feel. And so as I was able to be present with this unfolding process, the sense of me being a separate lump softened, the sense of me being in nature that was friendly softened, and what emerged was just this deep, all-pervading sense of nature. It's almost as if I ceased to have skin that separated me from anything else. There just was nature. And it arose and was known and would cease. And it wasn't me nature or it nature. It was just nature. And one of the things that was so telling about this experience was that because everything was nature, everything belonged. There was nothing that did not belong. The feelings that I had been frightened of belonged. The creatures that were unfamiliar to me belonged. The mosquitoes belonged. The beauty belonged. Everything belonged. And alongside everything belonging, there was no limit to compassion and where it flowed. Because I hadn't drawn a line of what belonged and what didn't belong. Everything belonged. And because everything belonged, then there was this deep natural caring that just flowed without discrimination and without distinction. And I was also included in that flow. I wasn't exempted from it. I was included in it. This is the opposite of division and polarity. 
And it is an experience of very deep and profound peace. There's an election happening. I don't know. We have the results yet. We might have the results when we leave here tonight. And we have the choice of what we do with that information, where we direct our attention. We can use it to solidify our identity as winners or as losers. We can use it to increase our sense of division with the other side. Or we can use it as an opportunity to move into another direction where our commitment is to awakening rather than to the identity of the group we belong to as we are awakening. When we are committed to awakening, there's no ground to hold on to where we can lay claim to an identity that doesn't change, that is fixed, that is permanent, that is secure, that will always support us. We have got to let go. And for most of us, most of our lives, we spend our whole lives doing everything we know how to do to avoid letting go. Because this groundlessness of not being able to lay claim from one perspective is the most unsettling, anxiety-producing place any person could ever go. And when you pass through the anxiety by relaxing into it, not fighting it, not pushing it, not coming up to strategies to bypass it, that letting go is the porthole to the peace that all of us are wanting and looking for and hoping for. When we connect with our hearts, with our caring, with our interest to have a planet that is livable, not just for the people on our block, but for the people who are on the planet and all the other creatures that are also on this planet, that may bring the kind of courage and the motivation to touch the stuff that we don't want to touch. 
to go into places that we don't want to go. To, to breathe through fears and anxiety that normally we would run a million miles the other way rather than stay present with and breathe through and get to the bottom of. But when we realize that polarization and division absolutely is not the path, and we have some feeling that compassion, that harmlessness, that awakening is the path. And we are placed in the position of having to choose. What do we support? What do we feed? What do we stop endorsing? And what's at risk? What's at stake? When I absorb into my thoughts and my ideas and my opinions and do that without mindfulness, the result is is that I form an identity about who I am. When I see my thoughts, when I see my opinions, when I see my views and observe them with mindfulness, It doesn't mean that they disappear. It doesn't mean that I become a vegetable or that I become stupid. But what it means is is that the place where I am seeking belonging changes. I live in Colorado, right next to the Garden of the Gods. And the Garden of the Gods is a, a rock formation that runs across the entire state of Colorado. And these rocks are 150 million years old. The Himalayans are 50 million years old. These rocks were part of the first Rocky Mountains. We are now on the third set of Rocky Mountains. I go and spend time with the rocks And it's like sitting at the feet of the master. There is nothing that I can bring to those rocks that rattles them. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing. And because they don't rattle, because they feel alive and responsive and welcoming, it reminds me of that place of resting in awareness that is able to receive everything. It's a porthole into the mirror. So I go and hang out with these rocks and drop mind and body and enter into pure presence that pervades everything and everyone is not dependent on time is not limited to certain people 
or certain areas or certain ways of cultivating. It is the essence of what we are made out of. It's timeless. And excludes nothing, welcomes everything. I don't think we are in an easeful time in history because of the level of complexity and global problems that we're navigating. But just because it isn't easeful doesn't mean that it isn't um, has tremendous potential. Because, you know, I don't know if you're like me, but, you know, I'm a little bit conflict-aversive, you know. I hate conflict, you know. (laughs) I hate hanging out with really difficult, naughty, dynamic issues between people or groups. And yet, where are we going to go where these are not happening? You know, where on the planet are we going to go where there are only the people who we agree with all of the time about everything. And so, you know, the fact is is, is that having to learn to deal with the stuff that I have not wanted to learn to deal with, you know, has meant that I have more resource to bring to these kinds of situations. And I'm far from mastered at it, you know. But I can see that as I've learned, there's more resources and skills to work with the things that just are, in the past, have been so deeply unsettling and dismantling. And what I can see in the kind of years of work of doing this is is that when I have related to conflict from the perspective that it's really important to hear everybody's needs and concerns who is in this situation, then that has been the best possible way to find a way forward. So, the election will be finished today, hopefully, unless we have a repeat of some kind of nightmare that we've seen in the past. (laughs) And the way it's set up is that there are winners and losers. That's the way it's been defined. And so maybe what we can do is we can make a commitment if we are the winners to include those people who were the losers and see if it's possible to understand what their concerns are 
and let that inform the way we move forward. And if we are in the team that has lost, to see if it's possible if we can let our hearts connect with our concerns and move forward into speaking what our needs and concerns are, not in a way that is spiteful or vengeful or vindictive, but out of care, out of respect, out of an interest to create a place where life is sustainable on this earth for the people and the creatures who inhabit it. where we are committed to our understanding that what the mind knows is different from that which is knowing. That we don't have to stake a claim in the objects of what we are experiencing. Our thinking, our opinions, our views, our ideas. And yet, we can uh, bring forward the care and the compassion in our hearts to bring discernment and clarity to the things that we think, to the views that we have, to the opinions that we hold, to support the greatest possible health and well-being for ourselves, for our family, for the world we are living in. To me, this is a way forward. I'd be interested to hear how it landed for you and what you think.